Hello, and welcome to Prophecy Girls, a Buffy rewatch podcast. I'm Kara Babcock, pronouns she, her. And I'm Stephanie Chow, pronouns she, her. Join us each week as we break down every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer from the beginning. This is a spoiler-free podcast. Whether you're watching for the first time or longtime fans like us, we'll be analyzing every episode, character, and storyline like it's our first time, too. During this rewatch, we'll reminisce about our memories of Buffy, discuss the show's cultural impact, and provide honest commentary on the show from a 21st century lens. Thanks for listening. Now, on to the episode. Season 4, Episode 20, The Yoko Factor. My boyfriend's back and you're gonna be in trouble. Hey, la, day, da. You know that, you know that song? <laughs> I do not. Please tell me, what is this song? It's just a song about your boyfriend coming back and fucking shit up. Um, another ex is returning to town in this episode. Oh, the toxic masculinity. Oh, the disappointment. I d- mm, we'll talk about it. We'll get into it. But I'm not impressed with most of the men in this episode. Surprisingly, really impressed with Spike. <laughs> Fair. Right? He's so good in this episode. I'm like rooting for him, even though he's, you know, a diabolical villain. Um, what a joy to watch him do what he's doing. <laughs> well, he's very good at it, right? Like that's yes. that's always my memory of this episode is this memory of like, Spike is a fantastic Iago. I know you were supposed to think of him as Yoko Ono, but I always think Shakespeare and I think Iago from Othello where it's like, he doesn't do anything, right? He has not raised a hand to any of them. It's literally just poisoning them, poisoning their minds. And it's a wonderful trope in fiction. Here's the thing. This episode is messy and it shouldn't work. There are so many things, so many ways this episode could go wrong. And there are things in this episode I think don't work that well, and I think you and I will will figure those out as we go along. But overall, this episode does work. It is one of my favorite episodes of season four, just because I think it is so interesting in its structure and the character development, and for a couple of other reasons I'll get into. And I love the way it leads into the final two episodes of the season. Yeah, I I agree. I feel like Christopher Nolan got the idea for Inception from the Yoko factor. Um, Like you're saying, it's a mess. Uh, A lot of stuff happens in this episode, but it works, strangely enough. I just want to give credit to the director and the editor for the episode, right? When it's like, not only is it just a great performance and obviously a good script, but they really took their time putting this episode together, like how they cut it, how they put the scenes together. They stitched it together so well. You know, it's kind of like the way Adam stitched together. It's like it just all came together and works. Yeah, and and also kudos to the writers for this one because, you know, all season we kind of been like, you know what, we see them trying to stick Spike in here. He still doesn't really work, um, you know, with the chip and with being their enemy, but also their frenemy and that like sometimes he's living with them, sometimes he's there, sometimes he's not. Who would have thought that at the end of the season, a season that's all about transitions and the Scoobies starting to drift apart from each other in various ways, who would have thought that Spike would be the person that does the final kicker of getting them to break up the band, you know? Um, What a great use of his character. So well done. Let's get into it because I I did like this episode, even though some of it made me angry. We start off with, is his his name Colonel McNamara? I believe that is correct. Okay, because that's what I wrote. 
just from pure memory from New Moon Rising. <laughs> so he's speaking to a man. I'm guessing this is Washington. I'm guessing this is the White House. Like, I don't know who he's talking to. I don't to. know about the White House. It would presumably <laughs> be either a joint chief of staff, perhaps, or um, if it's a civilian, probably somebody on whatever advisory committee is in charge of this project. Right, right. So he's he's giving him his report, basically. And he's saying, the initiative is keeping it together, but morale is a problem. The death of Professor Walsh, the escaped prototype, controlling the HSTs is getting harder, serious overcrowding in the containment areas. He says, it's not my mess. Just just so you know, like, it's not my mess. You, 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 you brought me here to hold down the fort while you figure out what you want to do. So the guy on the screen says, well, the incident with Finn was unfortunate. And McNamara is like, yeah, he fell in with the wrong crowd. Like, I don't think he was ever the soldier you all thought he was. The boy thinks too much. And I like choked on my water when I heard that. I was like, what? If you think Riley Finn thinks too much, oh boy. Oh my, oh my. Um, the man says that he wants, we want Finn back. Like uh, Riley's super important. I don't know. They, they want him back. And the colonel says, we'll catch up to him. He won't stray too far from the girl. And the guy's like, ah, yes. Buffy Summers, he checks his notes. Uh, he says, our databanks don't have much on her. And the colonel says, she's just a girl. And I was like, uh, what? Like, you don't even say that she's a slayer? I mean, once again, we're showing how these men in power Has are. Has he been listening to too much No Doubt? <laughs> right? Like that. I mean, that's around the, the right time for him to be listening to No Doubt. But my thing was like... Wh- did did Maggie Walsh not have like a series of notes about how Buffy beat up her entire squad? Does she not have like a, a video blog where she's like, you know, ranting about Buffy? Buffy fucked my son that I want to fuck. <laughs> right? And she's super strong. Like, I think that's the, the thing. When they say that she's just a girl, I was like, again, are they just undermining her power because she's just a little blonde girl, right? And we do yeah, know villains do I, that. I think that's what the scene is for, right? The scene is yeah. supposed to position... In case we had it already figured it out, that the initiative is a series of older white men, uh, white manning it all up, and they underestimate and trivialize, as you said, Buffy's power because she's she's a little blonde girl. We're supposed to not like these guys as a result. Joke's on you, Buffy, the show. I already dislike these guys. <laughs> we like them without that. And I think this is just so stupid because she literally held him hostage <laughs> the, week, the week before. So, okay, whatever. Let's cut to our favorite couple of season four, Spadum. Yay! Yay, because Spike is telling his lover, Adam, that um, you know she's so much more than that, meaning like carrying on from the fact that she's just a girl. He says, that Slayer's dangerous. And Adam's like, yes, she makes things interesting. And Spike's like, you're not getting it, Mr. Bits. And we know that you've noticed his bits, Spike. Um, Spike says, you're going to be interestingly dead. Little Miss Tiny's got a habit of bollocksing the plans of every would-be unstoppable badass who sets foot in this town conveniently spike leaves out including me multiple times <laughs> so he says i just want you to know when the big ugly goes down the slayer will be right in the thick of it are you ready for that and adam's like i'm counting on it dun 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 cut to credits the next scene is the same scene of Spadam, but Spike is smoking a cigarette slowly and you know what that means cara <laughs> That it's a good thing he's undead because otherwise he'd get lung cancer. Uh, well, yes, that is what that means. But it also means 
that they had sex because we know people ha- smoke cigarettes after they have sex out of wedlock. Oh. So, so yeah, so they're enjoying some post-coitus scheming. <laughs> Who doesn't? Um, Adam is saying, two slayers, you killed them both. And Spike's like, that's right, killed the hell out of them. And Adam's like, but you fear this one. And Spike says, I don't fear anything. I just know my enemies. And Adam says, do you? Then why haven't you killed the slayer yet? And Spike says, because uh, uh, sticking rotten luck, that's why. Oh, and now I've got this chip in my head. And Adam's like, yes, I know how you feel. You feel smothered, trapped like an animal, pure in its veracity, unable to actualize the urges within. <laughs> Sorry, it's still sexual to me. Um, clinging to one truth, like a flame struggling to burn within an enclosed glass, that a beast this powerful cannot be contained. Inevitably, it will break free and savage the land again. I will make you whole again, make you savage. Adam! Adam, who knew that you had such poetry inside you, you big walking demonoid? Damn, I don't blame Spike for being turned on. I'm not just feeling the the sexiness here, like the sensuality, (laughs) right? Because we know that Spike is like a a poetical individual, right? He tries, yes. Um, So I feel like... This is really doing it for Spike. I feel like Adam like knows what Spike likes, and this is very cute for them. I'm I'm more. I know we started this as a joke. I'm more on board with this ship now. It actually makes so much sense, and that's why like Spike is. He's like, wow. Like I mean, yeah. Like <laughs> because we've known Spike. Like you're saying back in season two. Remember he was like, oh, she's the, the gnat in my hair, or like whatever. He tried to do what Adam's doing here. But he's he's not that good at it. Adam's really good with words, and he's turning Spike on, and he like not only on to his plan, but on to his body and his mind. So Spike says, you know, I get why the demons all fall in line with you. You're like Tony Robbins. If he was a big, scary Frankenstein looking, you're exactly like Tony Robbins. I see it now. I didn't think about this until Spike said it, but now that he's pointed out the resemblance, Adam does kind of look like tony robbins (laughs) okay well then and also this is a reminder too that spike is very much a vampire of this world right like he is up to date on pop culture he went to woodstock he's a music fan right like angelus wouldn't have been able to make this reference (laughs) so adam says i will restore you to what you once were when i have the slayer how and where i want her and spike says well she's crafty her and her little friends that there's your variable the slayer has pals if you want her evening the odds in a fight you don't want her slayerettes with her and adam's like well take them away from her and spike's like well of course like there's a plan and she says she's working solo you won't have a chance to come after us what uh when royal rumpus begins plus it'll make her miserable and i never get tired of that yeah leave them to me and adam says what can you do to make sure they're out of the picture and spike says not a blessed thing they're gonna do it for me Ooh. so can we just like kind of recap what we think adam's plan is here like i still don't think it's very clear from their conversation since they met a couple episodes ago, it sounds like he wants a giant fight between demons and humans. Lots of people have to die, and Buffy needs to be there. That's that's what I'm getting. Yep. I think that's all we know so far. Okay, good. I'm like, am I missing something? Like, It sounds like this giant plan that they've already discussed many times, but I'm not picking up on well, it. Well, so Adam's got the plan, and now he's refining everything for maximum success, right? So maximum success means carnage. And if Buffy is at full power, she can either stop the carnage or not, you know, there won't be as much as he wants. I'm not sure he thinks Buffy could possibly defeat him. 
I think that he's trying to maneuver Buffy into a situation where she can still fight. He wants her to fight, but she needs to feel more desperate and less in control. And that's exactly what this plan he's hatched with Spike is going to accomplish for him. Mm, okay. So so let's cut to Buffy, who's getting home from L.A. She's entering her dorm room, wearing the same outfit. So it's probably the same day she left that night, got there. I don't know how far away it is, two hours. She notices that Willow is not there in her bed, so she has no one to talk to. So she just goes to lie down, and her face looks really conflicted. And, like, I want to read <laughs> regret on her face uh, because if we remember our conversation from uh, Sanctuary Buffy came in hot in LA and um, she didn't come across you know as her usual composed classy self and uh, I had things to say about that so I'm just hoping that maybe she's regretting her attitude when she got to LA I don't know something tells me she doesn't but I hope so Xander is visiting Riley at his hideout in the high school and he's like oh Buffy's not back yet and Xander says well I haven't heard from her but I'm sure she'll probably come here first thing and I was like ouch <laughs> like ouch she sure didn't um he gives Riley some clothes in a bag and Riley makes a joke about them being clown-like and then he apologizes because he's like I'm just on edge the sooner Buffy gets back the better I'll feel and Xander says you and me both big guy and then he's talking about Angel and he says it's not like I hate the guy just you know the guts part okay so do you think Xander also brings Riley dinner in a bag yeah I would hope so I mean someone's bringing Riley dinner in a bag because like he can't go grocery shopping even though he feels free to walk around campus willy-nilly oh yeah we'll get there <laughs> right but no this boy thinks too much <laughs> so um riley says to be fair it's not him you hate as an angel he says it's the curse right and xander says what did buffy tell you and riley says well everything more than i wanted to know sometimes she loved him he turned evil he killed people she cured him he left interesting little curse and xander goes on to say one moment's happiness and riley is confused and xander like presses on here and oof, Ooh, the Xander slander <laughs> continues finally because this would have been the perfect time, Xander, for you to read the room and realize that Riley doesn't know what the fuck you're talking about. Clearly, based on how Riley summarized the Bangel relationship, Buffy left some key things out, things she didn't think he needed to really know about. But what does Xander do? He just bulldozes through what Buffy has clearly set up as a boundary between her and Riley uh, and just tells her him everything. Uh, Xander says, you know, Angel's trigger. Angel's okay when he's sad, mopey, and brooding, but you give him one second of pure, real pleasure, that sets him off in a big old kill-your-friends kind of way. And you know what makes Angel happiest? I'll give you a hint. It's not creme brulee. <sighs> Fuck off, Xander. <laughs> First off, first off, Xander, you're explaining it incorrectly, okay? Because it's not that one moment of pure pleasure, right? It's not sex with Buffy. It's intimacy with Buffy, right? It was feeling close to her. Secondly, it's none of your business, so stop talking about Buffy behind her back. Third, it's nice to know that you're still bitter about the Angel and Buffy relationship after all this time and that you don't give a shit about all the damage that you've caused in that relationship over the past three years. Yeah, yeah, I I see exactly what you're <laughs> saying there. Like, Xander's not handling this very well. I also think Riley is a little bit naive, right? Like, mm -hmm. did you think 
Well, I guess he knew he wasn't Buffy's first because he knew about Parker. But do you think Parker was Buffy's first? Like, Buffy was in a relationship with Angel for a couple of years, buddy. Um, even if she didn't tell you, why are you so shocked? Exactly. Why is the surprise, like, especially later in this conversation when he's like, sex with Buffy. It, like, never occurred to you that she like obviously had sex with a sexy vampire <laughs> like come on so that's what so he says here he says sex with buffy and xander's like oh she kind of left that part out huh like <sighs> so riley says yeah she did that explains a, a lot of things that i wish weren't explained <laughs> and again like what you're saying Gar, like put two and two together riley come on uh it shouldn't take xander to clear things up for you and xander says that's all ancient history R- really xander because it sounds like it's fresh in your mind and riley says she went running to la to bone up on her history <laughs> oh my god and xander says i'm sure it's boneless she just needs to make sure everything's okay she's probably back already riley's like yeah maybe and xander says you'll feel a lot better when you see her and riley says i guess we'll see so my question to you, Cara, is why did Buffy leave the sex part out, right? Like, I, I think there's a, some good I think theories. she thought she was protecting Riley, or if we're being less charitable, um, it's possible that she was protecting herself in the sense of, like, she didn't want to get into it with Riley, right? Because it seems like Riley is somewhat fragile. Uh, him <laughs> learning yeah. that Willow dated a werewolf set him off. Buffy had already told him a bunch of very difficult things about Angel, Maybe she thought that alighting over the sex part would be easier for her. And I understand. I am sympathetic to that. I also have to say, I'm sympathetic in this scene. I don't want to defend Riley and Xander because I I agree with you and the points you're trying to make. I can't believe I'm coming close to defending (laughs) Xander especially. This may be the least toxic scene between, like the least toxic masculinity in this episode considering what's coming. There is part of me that's like, Xander, you're up to your old tricks again, right? Because remember in Becoming, uh, he was the one who narked on Angel, right? Yes. This is kind of Xander's <laughs> MO. Is, is, is Xander's, you know, he's always the one kind of like stirring the pot when it comes to Angel. Oh, he's also the one that like followed Buffy to, remember in Revelations, he followed Buffy to right. his mansion, watched them make out, tattled on every, ooh, ooh, ooh so, season two and three comes so screaming back. When I, when I say this, you know, I am, I am on board with the Xander slander here. But there was also part of me when I was watching this scene that was like, this is kind of nice that we're getting some guy talk. Yeah, no, I I can get on board with that for sure because it is nice to see a Xander getting along with one of Buffy's boyfriends yes. for once. Okay, what a what a revelation. Uh, but number two, you're right. Like they're talking about, even though they're you know breaking Buffy's boundaries and what she thought was necessary for her relationship or not. Uh, it's true. They're having a nice little heart to heart here. Uh, Riley's getting more and more insecure about it. <laughs> so the outcome's yeah, no like, good. Riley's insecurity is not sexy. And we're, we can talk mm. about that later in this episode for obvious reasons. Um, but I, so I agree with you on that. But I just, it's just so nice because we're so used to the girl talk. We don't see a ton of examples of men talking in this show, partly because there's just not a ton of male characters in the ensemble well, they keep cast. leaving yeah yeah they, they keep, keep leaving, leaving right like, yeah. yeah like we had giles and um wesley previous season you know we get it from time to time but it's nice to see two guys around the same age talking about girl troubles like you said there's some issues with boundaries and respect and, and all of that but 
for a moment, I was just like, you know, it it they may not be handling it the best way, and maybe it, that's partly the characters that we're talking with, but. I liked it. I liked that it was there. And that's really fair. And I, I, I can get on board with you with that. Um, I will also point out what you just said earlier about um, in New Moon Rising, Riley had a flip out about well, Oz being a werewolf. And then by the end of that episode, when he helped Oz and he told Buffy that I was being bigoted or whatever, we, we were giving them praise. We're saying, oh, Buffy's ready now. They've grown together. They're ready to share. And it turns out we were a little bit too premature in saying that because obviously Buffy shared some but she still feels uncomfortable sharing all of it. It was, you know, one step forward. This episode is three steps back. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, hey, interesting scene. I, I, I don't, it's not that I dislike the scene. I just really think that Xander overstepped here. Agreed. Oh, oh but so what's next? <laughs> now we cut to Giles. And you and I were talking where the wild things are about how there was one scene in particular that almost redeems the whole episode. I'm actually kind of mad that scene is in that episode because <laughs> right. it's just such a good scene. And we get a little reprise because we're at Giles' house. He's in his living room. He's playing his guitar. You know, I think it's kind of cute that the writers came up with this like later in the season. They're like, we need something for Giles to be doing. Anthony, you can play guitar, right? Yeah, I can totally play guitar and sing. Yeah, he's like, got the voice of a fucking angel. Uh, what a treat. What a delight. What a surprise. I I had no idea. I forgot completely that he sings in this episode. And I literally, when we got to the scene after watching the Xander Riley scene, I, it felt like someone splashed me with wonderfully scented warm water. <laughs> I was like, oh. <laughs> but can we, okay. Can we talk about how Giles singing in Where the Wild Things Are and Giles singing here, it's almost like made up for that awful lull of mid-season for me where I was like, oh, these are weird episodes with the Riley stuff and the initiative stuff. Uh, you know, if, if, if we put season four on a scale and it tips from good to bad, this like tips it right up to good because recognizing that Giles is an amazing musician is amazing, but we have to pay attention to the lyrics he's singing. I don't know what song he's singing. I think it's called Freebird, but the lyrics that he sings are, if I leave here tomorrow, would you still remember me? I must be traveling on now. There's too many places I've got to see. And if I stay here with you, girl, things just couldn't be the same because I'm as free as a bird now. And I was like, Giles, are you going somewhere? Like, where the hell do you think you're going? What? What if, and we we know that over the season Giles feels displaced. He doesn't know what his purpose is. He's like, where do I belong? I'm like hanging out with nineteen year olds all the time, and they don't respect me, and I don't have my authority anymore. So where do I go? So listening to him sing the song, I was it was beautiful. It was moving. Is, is Giles going to move to L.A. and try to make it as an actor, but then end up joining Angel Investigations? God, I wish that was the case. <laughs> God, that would be so good. And I think how everybody who, everyone who leaves this show, like Oz, Giles, whatever, we're like, why don't you guys go, why don't you go to Angel? Like, go to Angel Investigations. They'll take you on. Um, and you get paid, Giles. You'll get paid so, if you go there. So Giles is performing for himself. And then the camera cuts to Spike standing in front of Giles. <laughs> <laughs> and Giles opens his eyes and like I love this acting from Tony Head he like jumps off the stool like yeah. it's so <laughs> physical he, goes, yeah, he makes the noise <laughs> and then Spike's like 
You know, you should watch your, for somebody who's a watcher, you should watch your door, <laughs> which I, again, I love that the show is calling out and hanging a lampshade on the fact that Giles doesn't lock his door and it keeps backfiring on him. Like he should yes. learn at this point. I honestly think he's welcoming the chaos because he just has nothing else to do, Wait, you know? Oh, <laughs> like his Ripper days, right? Where they worship chaos. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so Spike wanders towards the kitchenette and he opens the fridge and takes out a bag of blood. He's like, oh, I knew I'd left one here. Which, <laughs> hasn't it been several months since Spike was living there? Did Giles just like have a bag of blood in there and not do anything with it? <laughs> yes. And like, how does does blood last a long time? Like, you just have know. a bag I, of blood? Well, I don't think it'd be good for transfusion anymore. I don't know how long blood is palatable or nutritious for vampires. That's a great mm. question. It might give him bad poops since we've discussed vampires well, pooping. Did he add Johnny O's or Weebix to it? <laughs> no, he just microwaves it. <laughs> yeah, he mics it, which I think he just like treats Giles like he's still living there. Like he's still a roommate, you know? Well, I, do, I love this scene, right? We talk yeah. so often about how James Marster says chemistry with basically everybody on this show, which is true. Mm -hmm. Giles in this scene, the way he keeps calling Giles Rupert, the the assumed intimacy in the scene as you just pointed out right he owns mm -hmm. this house that is not his he's owning yeah. this in, in this moment it's so well done the writing is good but it's james marsters and tony head who sell this performance it's it's almost to be the way he calls because i wrote that in my notes too the way he calls him rupert a couple times right and every, again just like jonathan called him rupert everyone calls him giles um even angel calls him giles but Spike calls him Rupert, and like you're like you're saying, it's an intimacy, but it, it's also um, almost like they're equals. Like like Spike sees him as another adult, right? And that's why he yeah. addresses him as such. So Spike asks, "Where's Buffy?" Uh, you know, he's like, "Pass on a message. I've got something that might interest her." And Giles is skeptical. He's like, "What?" And Spike says he has information, highly classified information. But of course, he's not going to just spill it right there. What do you think that? You know, I'm going to come running over and say, beat information out of me. No, he says he'll fetch it from the initiative if Buffy agrees to his demands or his price. Um, and Giles says, you know, a cynical person might think that you're offering just what we need when we need it most. <laughs> so smart, Giles. It's so smart. <laughs> and this is the first time Spike uses Giles's first name. And he says, that person would be right, Rupert. And he's just... <laughs> His tone is also different. Like you said, his tone is a little bit more mature and adult in this scene. He's less flippant. Like the flippancy is still there, but he's not as flippant or sarcastic in this scene. And that's a very deliberate choice. Well, he knows his audience, right? Yeah. Uh, like master manipulator. Giles asks what he wants and Spike rattles off his list. He says, a year's supply of blood, guaranteed protection, many bushels of cash, and a guarantee that I am not in any way slain. <laughs> and Giles agrees immediately. He says, done. Which, you know, I feel like some of that is doable. I don't know how you do the year supply of blood. Because again, it's going to go bad. So you have to keep that up. And mm -hmm. how much cash do you have, Giles? Um, like, Giles is rich. Giles is a wealthy person. We know this. But, you know, I think it's interesting that Giles says that. <laughs> and Spike says, smile and nod from you. Not near good enough. No, I need this from the Slayer herself. So Giles says, I'll tell her. And I like this not only because Spike is being so skeptical of Giles and winding Giles up, but the way that Giles says that, the confidence that Giles has, Giles is more morally gray than Buffy in many ways. 
Um, which is interesting because in past seasons, it was Buffy who was like, hey, Giles, I think Angel might be one of the good vampires. And Giles is like, no, Angel's evil. You must kill him. But <laughs> I think what we're seeing here is ever since we learned the truth of Giles' backstory in Dark Age, I think we're seeing that Giles understands the nuance of the supernatural world. He understands the need to make deals with monsters like Spike sometimes. And so I love it when we see the gray side of Giles. Mm -hmm. So Spike is like, what makes you think she's going to listen to you? And Giles says, I'm her watcher. And Spike challenges him. I think you're forgetting the past tense there, Rupert. But he says it sympathetically. And that's like the genius of Spike's manipulation, right? right? Because he says, he like says it almost like, Poor chap. You know, he's like, he's like, you know, you're you're neglecting the past tense there, Rupert. Like he's trying to be gentle with him, which is so ooh, he's so good in this scene. Nice. And so, you know, he goes on and he says, like, she barely has listened to you when you were in charge. I've seen the way she treats you now. Giles says, How's that? Spike says, like a retired librarian. Mm. Ooh, so he stuck in the knife and now he's twisting it around. And he says, you know, like I got what she wants as long as she got what I want. Spread the word. She knows where to find me. Does she? Does, <laughs> does, does everybody she? <laughs> know where your crypt is? I guess so. Like Adam um, sure did. So he leaves. And I also want to mention at this point that as they were talking, Giles, you know, was sitting at the, the counter of his kitchenette and he takes a bottle of wine that's just there and he opens it, he pours himself a glass and he starts drinking. And that's important for the rest of the episode. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I just want to point out here how perceptive Spike is. And that's something that you and I have brought up before. Spike notices things that the Scoobies don't really notice, especially when he was held prisoner. And I put prisoner in quotations. Um, remember, like he was the one that noticed that Willow was not getting through her breakup, that she was actually quite devastated. Yeah. That's great. He's the one that notices like back in um, back in Lover's Walk in season three. He's like when Buffy's like, we're just friends, me and Angel. He's like, no, you're not. Right. Like, so he he's not only does he notice things, he's not afraid to say them well, out loud. And when he was roommates with Giles, right, he was probably privy to all those times Giles tried phoning Buffy and she didn't pick up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then when he stayed with Xander, right, he probably saw all the stuff that he was doing alone and how the Scoobies called him to do like little odds and ends favors for him. Spike is so smart. Spike is so smart. Well, he's just so perspective. Like, he spent this year gaining all this knowledge about them, and now he's going to use it against them. And that's so satisfying to watch, because he's still a villain. They seem to forget, because they think that he's completely tame, even though he told them in this year's girl, can you guys just remember for a second that I'm evil, and I will sick this girl on you if I want to? But they don't seem to understand that. Spike's fatal flaw seems to be overconfidence, right? Like when Adam was like, well, why did you fail in the past? And Spike's like, bad luck. Sure, but it's also... You reach a point where you almost defeat Buffy and then you go too far. You overextend yourself. We saw that with the Gem of Amara where he was actually winning against Buffy, but he just got so confident that he let her get the upper hand. Or Halloween where he was like, I'm going to bite you so slowly. <laughs> Enough time for right? the spell to be taken off. <laughs> you know, yeah. Spike is very good at coming with, up with plans, right? Like yeah. taking the opportunity on Halloween was a good plan. Finding the Gem of Amara, great plan. No notes. He did it. He was almost invincible. He just screwed it up. So that's right? that's my compliment for Spike here. <laughs> well, he took it to go fight Buffy where he should have taken it 
and left <laughs> town. But anyway, uh, let's cut to Tara, who uh, has a kitten in her dorm room, which is definitely not allowed. But then again, if Willow can have a rat, I guess she can have a cat. And Willow's gushing over it. And like she, Willow says, it's so cool that she's ours. I mean, yours. That she's yours is cool. And Tara says she can be ours if you want, which is so cute, you guys. It's a yellow pet together. Wait, so how is Miss Kitty Fantastico going to get along with Amy the Rat? This could end poorly. <laughs> yeah, you guys didn't. Re- you guys didn't think this one through. You should have gotten a puppy. I'm talking about what classes Willow will take next year, and uh, Willow says no to psych because of Walsh, <laughs> but she does say what what drama might be fun. And I was like, Willow, you have stage fright. Remember, <laughs> remember season one? You don't like it was being so on stage. So long ago. <laughs> and then Willow does this thing where she's like, I can be dramatic, and she says like to the cat, right? Like, um, you're addicted to catnip or some sort of joke like that. And how's like this is cute but also huh huh so willow says she hasn't dealt with the housing situation yet have you done anything as into tara like she says like i hear there are some off-campus places that are cool for groups to go in on and i was like this is so true in my second year university i got a house with four friends it was chaos and wonderful (laughs) but also awful (laughs) was it haunted was there an orgasm wall there was an orgasm wall As in the wall that you would keep between you and whoever's having an orgasm? Absolutely, yes. And um, just so you know, if ever you have an orgasm wall, you automatically get the bathtub ghost. (laughs) So I would recommend not getting a house with that. Um, So this is true. This is what a lot of students do in their second and third years. They go in on a house and then they realize, wow, five or six people is way too much. And then they downgrade for later. But that's part of the experience when you're 19. So that's one thing. Then the second thing I was noticing, so Kara, like Willow and Tara got a cat together and now Willow's kind of hinting that she wants to move in with Tara. And I'm like, this is is adorable. It's also quick. This is a classic lesbian trope. I don't know if you're is familiar it? with this step. Yes. No, I'm not. I'm not. Yeah. One of the stereotypes of lesbians is that they move in together very quickly and they get pets together really quickly. Oh, my God. I'm having a Stephanie I, I, epiphany. I don't know if the writers were aware of this stereotype when they wrote this. Um, but it, it, if, you're, if you know the stereotype, it, like you said, it's adorable. But it's also just funny that... You know, the show is is playing into that, whether intentionally or not. I'm having a Steph Piffany right now because, yeah, like my lesbian friends did that. (laughs) (laughs) They all moved. They moved forward so quickly and confidently. (laughs) Because, and this is why I think, you know, this is why I think we could laugh about it as as two people who aren't lesbians, right? Like, because Mm. if you tell any other lesbian couple this... Chances are they're going to agree with you, right? They're going to be like, yes, that was Yeah, us. so it's like true. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And the reason is because <laughs> a lot of lesbians, and this is true for a lot of queer people as well, when you realize your sexuality and when you finally meet somebody that vibes with you, you, you don't want to wait, right? Because you had this entire time of being told you're wrong or broken or, you know, you just haven't met the right guy, right? All of these terrible lesbophobic things that we say to people. And so finally you meet, you know, somebody that you're really into, they're into you. You don't want to wait for it because the queer phobia in our society makes it so hard to be happy. Um, you just go with it. So I I, I totally wow. I totally get why it happens. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, you bringing it up here, I'm just like, well, Steph. 
yeah and then it's so funny because like you know it's completely over my head because like like i like i mean it like my friends that have been lesbians all moved forward super quickly and i never thought two things about it i was like good for them right but now that <laughs> now that i know that it's like a trope like a stereotype it, it, it makes me laugh um and i'm really happy for willow and tara i hope they do move in together i think that'd be great for them uh but what tara's saying is she figured she that willow would dorm up with buffy again and willow says well we haven't talked about it yet i used to assume we'd be roomies through grad school and we like you know well into little little old ladyhood which is so true too of like female friendships when you're really close with someone and like you picture your future together with your best friend you know like oh, we're gonna be do. i'm, I'm making yeah. it happen but i also think it's cute because unlike xander we have to remember willow hasn't known buffy her whole childhood right like she's only really mm-hmm. known buffy for the last three years so it's really cute that they've become so close. Yeah, yeah, I, I like that. So this is, hey, we got that weird boy talk earlier, which, you know, is great to see, but also what? This is a great little scene between Tara and Willow where uh, Willow says, you know, she's usually busy with Riley and, you know, I'm busy too. So I guess I'll just ask her later. So knock at Buffy's door. It's Riley. He's wearing Xander's clothes. Um, and he's like, I got t- tired of sitting around and waiting. So he comes in and they make a couple jokes about what he's wearing. And Buffy says, is it okay for you to be here? And Riley says, you tell me. And ooh, Riley, you're so insecure here. You're so like you. You came out of hiding because you're worried that Buff, ooh, because Buffy came back from LA, you know? So Buffy says, I meant that the government branch hunting you down and all. And Riley says, no, I'm good. Like, it took me a while, but I patched him to their frequency. And sure enough, he's got a walkie-talkie with wires on it. So clearly he can listen in. And he says, you know, he can't sneak up on a guy who's listening. And then Buffy says, you're the sneakiest. And Riley says, that's why they hired me. And I was like, Riley, you are not the sneakiest. What you're doing right now proves that you're not sneaky. So uh, Riley asks, like, are you okay? And she says, Angel kind of upset me. And Riley's like, how? And Buffy says, it's not that interesting. And Riley, good, honestly, good for him. He says, got my attention. <laughs> Because I, too, would be like, no, no, I'm interested, very interested. And Buffy says, he just spun my head a little. And Riley says, okay, so you don't want to talk about it. And Buffy's like, yeah, deconstructing deconstructing Angel can wait right now. She just wants to go find Adam. We can talk later. And she tells Riley that it's not a big deal. And here's the thing. Like, I think Riley definitely is letting his jealousy and his insecurity push him to come over here and ask Buffy about what happened and like get her to say yes I slept with Angel or no I didn't but also it's not really up to Buffy to tell Riley that it's not a big deal like I know it's not a big deal to her but he's clearly here asking questions so I don't know if it's very fair for her to tell him that like she could say I know this is a bigger deal to you can we talk about it tonight or something like that do you know what I mean yeah and it's it's tough I I feel for both of them in this situation because Clearly, Buffy understands that this is difficult for Riley as well. He's on the run. And yeah, she just went to see her ex. And and that must bring up feelings for everybody. But she's tired. Mm -hmm. And she doesn't want to talk about it right now. And I respect that. And I think Riley's a little bit of a dick to her in this case. But Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I get it. Like, they're young. This is the way relationships are sometimes. Tempers get heated. I think he probably, he did the best he could here. He gets himself out of the situation before they get further into a fight. Yeah, he does. He does get it. Like, you're right. Right now, like, after she says it's not a big deal, and he says, oh, you know what? Like, I don't want to get in your face about it, right? You had a long trip. Like, he's being understanding, and he leaves. So Xander and Anya are bringing Spike initiative clothes. 
And there's a gun on top of this clothes pile. And um, Spike takes the gun and he's so excited and he like points it at them and his chip goes off. And Anya says, oh, that chip in your head means you can't even point a gun. How humiliating. <laughs> and, and Xander says, it doesn't work anyway. It's a fake. And Anya's like, you can't even point a decorative gun. <laughs> and Xander says, you know, uh, it's uh, give it up to American chipmanship. And Spike is like, like how what about self-defense right i'm risking my life here and xander's like can you tell me how can you can i tell you how much i really don't care about that so spike takes this opportunity to say attitude see how far that will get you in boot camp and then he says i hope you get one of those one of those tough as nails drill sergeants who only who's only hard on the men because he's trying to keep them alive when the bullets start flying and xander is confused he's like boot camp Uh, yeah like i'd go there and spike says oh you changed your mind not gonna join and Anya like hit Xander and she's like, you're joining the army. And Xander is confused. He's just like, where'd you get that idea? I'm not. So he's like, who is this, co- this coming from? And Spike basically tells Xander that Willow and Buffy were talking about him behind his back and saying that he should go to the army and be all he can be. And, you know, th- then they said they laughed because they figured that you were, you know, you were going to sign up. And the thing about this is, like, I think this is a weird angle to go into manipulating Xander. Yes, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, it's weird. Um, But at the same time, when he says this line, like, be all you can be, I think that is the crux of what Xander has been trying to be this whole season, right? Like, who is Xander? Mm -hmm. I think Nicola counted for us on Instagram. I think she said he's had nine jobs this season leading up to the end of the season. So... Yeah, like Xander does not know who he wants to be. He's clearly terrible at all these jobs because he keeps getting fired. So so that's where I was like, okay, so I guess Spike's going for the whole like, the, the girls don't believe you know who you are. So you should join the army and make yourself useful, I guess. It's very creative. Like you said, very perceptive. This is not the route I would have gone. But it works. Yeah. And like basically the rest of the conversation is Xander being outraged about this, right? Like, uh, you know, I've, I've got all sorts of stuff. I've got skills and stratagems. And Anya says he's a Viking in the sack. Xander starts saying like, it's all about them and their college life. Well, you know what college is. It's high school only without actually going to class, which is what high school is too. <laughs> but he's like, the point is I'm out here working hard to make a living and it's nothing but a huge joke to them. And that is fair because you and I have said, you know, they aren't very sympathetic to the fact that Xander isn't as privileged as them. And well, he also didn't work as hard in high school to go to university, but that wasn't his path. So, so yeah, this is fair. Xander also mentions here that he got fired from a phone sex company and he worked for Starbucks and got fired. And uh, Anya says, they look down on you. And Xander's like, well, they hate you. And Anya says, but they don't look down on me, which is fair. <laughs> and um, Spike says, like, again, he takes on his sympathetic voice, right? Where he's like, it was just a laugh, like, no need to get upset, no need to go insane about it. And Xander's like, who's talking to you? And Spike says, sir, yes, sir, sir, no, sir, or whatever. So, yeah, so that this is a weird angle, but I, I do like this scene, you know, two down, one to go. So Buffy's wandering the forest. She's got her blinky gun <laughs> and she wants to go into a cave. And I like her look here. Like, she's got, like, her curly hair and her white turtleneck and her little suede rhinestone jacket. I think she looks great. Um, Forrest approaches, and he also has a blinky gun. 
And uh, <laughs> Blinky guns for everybody. Did we just go to an Oprah taping? <laughs> you get one and you get one. Um, yeah, so so they're, they're aiming at each other and, you know, Force is like, get out of here. The troops are going to be here any minute. So be on your way. And Buffy's like, I'm going into this cave. And Forrest is like, well, that's my orders exactly. So Buffy says, alone? And Forrest says, yeah, we're spread a little thin here. Family is tearing apart. And Buffy says, huh, family. What kind of family are you? The Corleones? And um, that's a reference to the, the Godfather, I do believe. Yes. In the cave, Forrest is telling, you think you're the first girlfriend that Riley's ever had? Such a big head on that skinny little body. You're the first one to get Riley to commit treason. Riley had a career, a future until he met you. And yeah, I have a problem with that. I mean, that's a pretty big deal, right? The, you know. You never forget your first girl who makes you commit treason. <laughs> I know, right? We, those people always hold special places in our hearts. <laughs> um, Buffy says, future, doing what? Illegal experiments, torture, murder? I guess killing someone isn't really a problem for you. And Forrest says less and less, which is fascinating. I guess he's a murderer now. And he says, now, why don't you get the hell out of here before I and Buffy, like, and he touches her and Buffy says, you know, touch me again and you'll find out what Slayer strength is like. And Forrest is like, I think it's about time you showed me then. Oh, Forrest, she would destroy you. Um, and then, of course, Adam pops up and he says, yes, I think that would be interesting. <laughs> Honestly, best reveal for Adam, right? Like, remember last time Buffy fought Adam and he showed up and he dropped a soldier off the catwalk? <laughs> yeah. This one's even better because you <laughs> yeah. like... We, we talk about this all the time, as you reminded me in New Moon Rising, right? The monsters wait to make their entrance. It's dramatic yes. timing. Adam yes. has perfected that. Yes, yes. He's done enough studying to know that this is how it's done, and he uh, nailed it. Um, I'll also add that, like, what is this cave? <laughs> like, we kind of glossed over to the beginning of the scene, but, like, they, they, they all just went to go check out this cave today. <laughs> Right? Like, that's the thing is, we don't learn why Buffy's checking out the cave. Um, and where is of, it? <laughs> yeah, it's like, what brought you to this cave that Adam happens to be in? So I'm wondering if maybe there was a bit of a deleted scene somewhere where they had, like, the intel. Like, Buffy finds out that Adam might be there or something. Oh, there's, like, a bunch um, of, te there's a bunch of, like, I don't know, computer activity happening in this area. Like, better go there. <laughs> you know, like, something like that. Yeah, so I mean that's funny, but anyway, they fight him. They fight, Buffy goes to fight him, and she tells Forrest to get out of here. And Adam throws Buffy against the wall really hard, and Forrest like is getting up to go toward Adam, and Adam releases his arm needle. Remember, he has got an arm needle. Forrest says, uh, "I'm not moving," and he blasts Adam, but the the blast only makes Adam stronger. He's like, "Thank you." And then Buffy is shouting at Forrest to leave, get out of here. But Forrest runs directly at Adam, straight into his arm needle. It's the worst tactic ever. You see the arm needle. Why are you running towards it like that? Forrest is wild in this episode. Like first he's like, "I'm I'm gonna go do this alone," and then he's like. I'm going to fight you, Buffy. And now he just thought he could run at Adam and that would be good enough. <laughs> like, I'm not here to say he deserved to die. Especially, you know, as we've discussed previously, this show has a bad habit of fridging the black characters. Kendra, yep. Mr. Trick, Forrest. Rest in peace. Praise Moloch. Praise. But I don't want to blame Forrest here. I'm not trying to victim blame. But I just, I, Forrest... I feel sorry for you. I feel like you could have gone in a better way. Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing, that's a good way to put it because I was like, I'm not making fun of the fact that he died. That's too bad. But like 
the way in which they wrote him to die is weird. And then weird. Adam shoots Buffy with the blinky gun, which I love we're calling it the blinky gun now. <laughs> he shoots her and she takes it. Like these things take down demons and she just takes it almost like Adam did. I wish she had been yeah. like, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm charged I, I'm just up. like, yeah. go Buffy. <laughs> And I will add that this actually reminded me of a scene in the Avengers, which we know Joss Whedon directed in the very in the original Avengers, where Thor shoots lightning at Tony Stark's Iron Man suit, and it only charges it up, right? So it's like kind of the same idea here. Um, just a little continuation. Yeah, so Buffy literally like runs out of the cave. <laughs> this is so weird, too. She runs out of the cage, and she falls, trips, and she falls down a hill, and she hits her head on a rock, I think, and she kind of like passes out for a bit. Um, Adam doesn't chase her. I guess Adam does, like, doesn't want her to die here. He wants her to die in some right. big he battle. he wants her alive for his nefarious plan. Yeah, for some unknown reason. Yeah, so, oh no, oh no, Forrest is dead. It's nighttime. This is so funny. Spike is wearing his army gear and he's walking, he's smoking a cigarette. He's walking toward Giles' door. Does that mean he stopped at Adam's for a quickie? Oh, absolutely. In fact, he was, he just, as soon as Buffy left the cage, uh, the cave, Spike entered. <laughs> and then they've been busy until sunset and now here he is. So, Spike... It, this is so funny because he stops in front of Giles's door and he like collects himself and it takes a moment before he puts on his like acting face and I think this reminded me so much of before actors go on stage for a play right they mm -hmm. like get into the mood get into character <laughs> and I was like this is so enjoyable to watch so Spike runs in and he's like out of breath right he's like oh I think I lost the buggers as if he has been chased by a bunch of soldier men um willow tara and giles are in there and spike gives willow the disc which is what he said he was going to secure from the initiative and um he's like i hope there's something useful on them and willow inserts it into her laptop and it was her mac laptop from was was New it Moon rising was it i think so she's got a, she's got no. it right no because if you look later on in this episode when uh buffy and riley and Angel are in Buffy's dorm room. Yeah. On Willow's desk, there is clearly an open laptop computer. Oh, maybe she's got multiple. Or I guess that was Giles's computer then. That's Interesting. What I'm oh, okay, okay. Because okay, I okay. noticed the laptop in the dorm room and I'm like, is that Buffy's laptop? But it's on <laughs> you, Willow's side of the room. You and I would do so well at Angel Investigations. <laughs> like just making assumptions, but also As long as I debunking. can take vacation anytime I want, just like Cordelia. Yeah, yeah. As soon as there's someone dangerous around, well, paid vacation time. And I'm not stocking Angel's fridge with condoms. I am. <laughs> uh, uh, so Giles is drinking behind them, right? Um and asks Spike if there's any if there's any problems getting in and out. And Spike's like, no, you know, I took care of a couple of them on my way out. And Giles scoffs at this and he says, gave them a good running away, did you? <laughs> Which made me laugh. And Spike's like, okay, when do I get paid? And Giles is like, when Willow tells me that you brought us something useful. And so what do you think they would pay Spike for this? If Faith can get 15000 for killing Angel, <laughs> what do you think Spike's getting? Not 15,000. I don't think Giles has that much. Somewhere in the low thousands. Maybe like 2,000. Yeah, I was thinking two to 5,000, like somewhere in that range. 
So Willow and Tara are on the computer and Spike is noticing, because again, Spike's perceptive, perceptive, he sees that Tara's playing with Willow's hair very intimately, right? So he puts two and two together, he gets it. Um, Spike goes to Giles and says, I could have gone straight to the Slayer, you know. I cut you in um, and let you pretend that you're actually in charge. Now you've got to wait for Red's permission to seal the deal. And Giles is so annoyed, right? So he's like, let's just see what's on the disc. Like, he's very on edge. And um, Willow says they're encrypted. And cracking it is as easy as really difficult pie. (laughs) And Spike says, you're not exactly the whiz these days either. God, I'm never going to get paid. And I love this line. Willow says, I'm a whiz, ever the whiz there was. (laughs) I just need some time. And that's actually the most, like, Willow line that I've heard from Willow in a very long time. Um, Spike says... I, I just heard you weren't. You know, your mate said that you weren't playing with computers so much, playing with the, the new thing. And Willow says, what's the new thing? And Spike says, you know, you two, the whole Wicca thing. And Willow says, they were talking about that? What did they say? And Spike says, talking about, you know, it's just a phase, you'll get over it. And Willow says, who said that? Was it Buffy? Because you know what she means by that. And Spike says... Um, she was defending you, right? Xander says you were be- just being trendy. I don't know what they were going on about. Person wants to be a witch. That's their business. And Willow says to Tara, I knew Buffy was freaked. And Tara starts saying, like, you know, you just talk to her, right? I'm sure there's a reason for what she said. And Spike's like, pressing business, ladies. Don't want to get sidetracked. Still have monsters to fight. So this is it. This is Spike planting that seed in Willow's brain that her friends are not comfortable with her being uh with Tara and as and this is actually kind of this one hurt a little bit for me because you and I loved the scene where Willow came out to Buffy like we talked about it extensively in New Moon Rising um it meant a lot I think it, it means a lot to the show that they had a scene like that so Spike <laughs> Spike is spoiling that moment and making Willow doubt that Buffy told when Buffy told her I'm okay with this. Like this, I support you, right? Um, And he's taking that security away. And Spike's evil, right? Spike's a bad guy. That's what he's trying to do. But it just made me sad. I was like, you, you evil person. Um, Just because you're souring this thing that Willow found comfort in, right? So I was like, that's, ooh. (laughs) Yes, Spike is evil, you know? Yes, he's an evil guy, yeah. (laughs) I I think that's what the episode is showing us. I think you're absolutely right, is Spike is not their friend. And also, once again, drawing in that parallel that being a witch is a metaphor for being gay, right? Like, we've been toying with that for, I mean, we've been looking at that all season. Um, But here it is, they're literally using it as the metaphor that, you know, the more Wiccan you get, the more gay you get, I guess. So... Cut to the colonel talking to soldiers in the demon containment area. Um, capacity's maxed out. And he's telling the soldier that these are just animals, lieutenant. Pack them until we're, we're out of room. Then we pack them in some more. And the lieutenant says they're going to start tearing each other apart, sir. And sure enough, the demons are fighting in their cells. Um, but in the control center, they hear a soldier shouting into the frequency that they need backup. They're getting teared apart out here. Two men down. We're out of nowhere. Mayday, mayday. Um, and Riley's eating beans <laughs> in the high school and he's listening in on this frequency and he decides to get up and go and help, um, no, these soldiers. Riley. Riley, Riley, you're not sneaky nor smart because, um, I think the reason he wants to get up and help is because he's got all those pent up jealous energy 
that he wants to like get out of his system. Yeah, that's fair. I get that, but also still a poor choice. Um, it's also an odd choice for Riley, who is trying to run away from the initiative, who are trying to arrest him. So running to their help. I mean, he's he's a hero, so I guess that's what he's going to do. But I also think it's mostly that he's like, I just want something to do. I need to go do something. Riley's running down the street to an alleyway just in time to see a soldier get thrown against a wall. And Riley shines a flashlight up and it's Angel. <laughs> and Angel says, Riley Finn. How? 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 <laughs> that was my question, too. I was like, these two won't recognize each other. Angel obviously creeped Riley on Instagram. Because <laughs> was, was, Riley wasn't there when Angel visited in Pangs, right? He was. Oh, you you know what? He was. He did see him. Remember? He said, Willow, who's that? Oh, right. Okay. Uh, so there we go. Mystery solved. We got there. How would he, how, we, we found it. But how would he know his last name? <laughs> he just like well, looked at him the phone book. Buffy told him that. We don't know. We don't. We don't know. Or maybe, um, maybe he and Willow are having goss sessions. You know, maybe they oh, phone each true, other. True, 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 true. Or Joyce. Joyce could have been like, like "Wow, Buffy's right? got a new boyfriend, like, Riley Finn." Maybe Willow's like, "So I'm gay now." And Angel's like, "Cool. <laughs> what's her name?" Angel's like, "I knew that since Doppelgangland." But yeah, like, <laughs> good for you. Um, yeah. So, so Riley says, "I know you," and Angel says, "We have a friend in common." And Riley's like. Angel and Angel says, "Well, this welcoming committee, your idea." And Riley says, "The way I heard it, you were all peaceable now. You didn't by chance go and lose that pesky soul again, did you?" And Angel says, "Don't push me, boy." And Riley says, "Now, what could possibly have happened with Buffy to make you lose your soul?" The posturing. The posturing. <laughs> that you got like I think I said this back in Killed by Death. Shake your dicks, gentlemen. This pissing contest is over. But it's it's only just beginning, Kara, because <laughs> Angel says um, that would be between me and her. And Riley's like taking out, he takes out his beating stick. I don't know what they call it. Police officers have the stick. His baton. <laughs> baton, this black rod of his. Um, and he says, where do you think you're going? And Angel says, I'm going to see an old girlfriend. And Riley's like, you really think I'm going to let that happen? And Angel says, what, you think you can stop me? And Riley's like, I surely do. <laughs> I get my brain, Riley, Riley. Okay, they make Riley so cornbread Iowan in this scene. Do you know what I mean? I surely do. <laughs> that pesky old soul. So, so much to unpack in this scene. Right off the bat, what I want to say about the Riley and Angel dynamic in this episode is that i i see what the show is doing they want to see these boys fight it out that that's what they want to see do we want to see it too kind of (laughs) um but at the same time this is toxic this is unnecessary this is bad on uh, reflecting poorly on both of them but I just wanted to say off the bat, I see what the show is doing here, right? Like, of course, yes. they're going to make them fight, of course. So I think this is interesting for a lot of reasons. Angel thinks that Riley's, like, he said, like, did you sick these guys on me? Angel thinks that Riley did this on purpose, that he's attacking Angel on purpose. So that's his motivation. Riley thinks that Angel and Buffy slept together in L.A. and that Angel's evil again. 
<laughs> so, of course, he wants to fight him and prevent him from seeing Buffy. Um, and I just want to stop you there, Riley, because, you know, your relationship with Buffy is going super well if this is what you're assuming, right? <laughs> so Everybody wants to assume the worst of each other in this episode. That's a good way of putting it. So... All right, so what I want to say about this fight. So they have a fight, and it's actually really enjoyable to watch. It's also ludicrous because there's no way Riley could keep up with a fight with Angel. But they let him. They let him beat him up a bit. Fine. What I want to say about it is that Angel swung first. I watched this a couple of times because I needed to understand Right, 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 my... right. But when Joss Whedon does his director's cut, he's going to change it so roughly... He's going to change it so <laughs> Riley swings first. Yeah, I'm sure he would. Um, but when I was watching it, and I was watching it closely because I needed to understand the motivations of my boyfriend, Angel, he did swing first. And I will say here that, um, Angel, you're better than this. Okay, you're better than this. You're older. You were more mature than Riley. You've been around a lot longer than him. You came here to apologize to Buffy. So uh, you fighting him here is outrageous. <laughs> Right. And I get that you think that Riley attacked you first. I get that. I also get that you have to play the jealous ex-boyfriend in this episode, in this particular situation. I get that, too. But, um, yeah, there's absolutely no excuse for Angel picking a fight with Riley here. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't really have anything to add. I think you have covered it really well. <laughs> it pains me to say it, but I'm uh, just saying, like, Angel, that's, that's on you. It really is, because Riley is a little himbo. What does he know? <laughs> he's a little baby chick, you know? He's just, like, he's new to this world. So they fight. Angel vamps out at one point, and he does end up throwing Riley around like he's a rag doll. Really fun to watch. Um, and then he parkours away because the army guys are coming. <laughs> he just... Jobs of building. season one where he just melts back into the shadows, you know, with his <laughs> yeah. leather coat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. I love it. And also, I will say, like, he's got his, like, long coat and he's handsome in the alleyway and, like, he's looking like Batman. So, whatever. They fight. They both well, peace out. Well, while you're fantasizing about Angel, I will talk about Buffy being back at her dorm room. Mm-hmm. You know, so she, she arrives back there and... She's thinking, of course, about Forrest. We all forgot about Forrest, to be honest. <laughs> she's trying to think. I'm, I'm sure what she's thinking is like, how am I going to tell Riley? Mm. So there's a knock on the door. It's not Riley, Buffy. It's your ex. It's Angel. Which like, was Angel waiting for her to get back? Was he like staking out the dorm room and kind of like... No, no, like, I think he ran there <laughs> right after this happened because he's like, God, I got to explain this before he gets there first. Right, but he gets there just as she gets home. It's, the timings are too convenient is what I'm saying. Well, they are destined, so... So he asks if he can come in and Buffy's like, I guess. And he hesitates and he says, I need more than that. Because of course, Steph, uh, you may have forgotten this. Angel is a vampire. Since when? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, what? I think it's a recent thing. Over the summer? Um, okay. <laughs> so he, he needs to be invited in. So Buffy does that, uh, and he comes in, and he looks around the dorm room, and Buffy says, you're hurt. And he says, <laughs> yep. you too. Well, at least they have something in common. Mm-hmm. She says, I'll live. Want to tell me who ran your face into that doorknob? And Angel says, not really. It's not world and peril stuff. Okay, but this is what I mean. Like, Angel's bleeding. Angel's... Riley hurt him. Angel, who, like, fought the Mora demon. (laughs) Right? I agree with you. And then Angel's like, it's not world and peril stuff. And so this is where Buffy starts getting snippy. And she's like, oh, okay, I see how it is. So you thought of something else really hurtful to say. And you couldn't tell me on the phone. 
because the funniest part is that look on my face. Shh, Buffy, shh, Buffy, Buffy, Buffy. You were the one that was out of line in LA. The fact that Angel's coming here to apologize, like, good on him because I don't think he really needed to apologize for anything for her behavior in, in LA. So Angel says, Buffy, please. He's like, not more of this bullshit. This is why I broke up with you. He's like, Buffy, oh. please. I don't really have a lot of time. And Buffy says, what's going on? And so the, the door opens rather dramatically. It crashes open. It, he kicks it open. <laughs> and the way that this shot is framed, it's like a close-up on the gun that Riley points at Angel, like an action movie scene. <laughs> and Riley says, I told you, you weren't coming near her. And Buffy says, you've got to be kidding. Like, this is the reason why you came. And Angel's like, no, this was an accident. <laughs> of all the people to run into in Sunnydale. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I kind of think you wanted this to happen, Angel. So Buffy says, running your car into a tree is an accident. Buffy would know. Mm-hmm. Running your fist into somebody else's face is a plan. Please explain this to me. And Angel is ignoring her. Not a smart move. He tells Riley to put the gun down. You know what, though? I noticed in this, like, he glanced at Buffy first, and then he tells Riley to put the gun down. So part of me feels like he he's worried that Riley, who's a little bit unhinged right now, he might accidentally shoot Buffy. Because it's not going to hurt him, the gun. But it's just that little glance. I was like, oh, he's probably just like, all right, well, first let's, like, get rid of this. <laughs> yeah. So Riley says, pretty much all I have left is this, you know, the the gun. So he says, I'm thinking not. And he tells Buffy he attacked four of my men. I think he's up to his old tricks. Four of <laughs> your men, Riley? You got relieved of command. You abandoned your your post. And also, Angel's old. You've known you've Angel for five minutes. Okay, like, Riley, Angel's old tricks involve giving half-baked information, <laughs> jumping out of windows headfirst, <laughs> Sketching. And, and yes, yeah, sketching and lurking, and those are his old tricks. This is not his old tricks. <laughs> so Buffy tries to say, you know, he won't hurt anybody. She's like, Angel, tell him. And Angel says, Oh, I might hurt you. So Angel, <laughs> of course, is making this more difficult for everybody. Angel. Riley says, Please try. Angel says, Some threat, you can barely stand. Riley says, Trigger finger feels okay. And Angel says, Buffy, you actually sleep with this guy? Oh. <laughs> so we get into um, another fight they start fighting you know dog is it dog fighting like not cat fighting i don't I, yeah i guess so. like riley punches angel angel punches riley and then buffy shoves them both back and i love this because buffy could beat the shit out of both of them <laughs> um and she says enough right like one i love this line because you know you and i are like oh the toxic masculinity here buffy says it perfectly buffy says one more display of testosterone poisoning and i will personally put you both in the hospital i just i just hate the messaging here that the girl has to be the responsible one when boys fight over her right it's like why are we always saying women are going to be mature and responsible and men are allowed to fly off the handle yeah and that they're allowed to like you know flex at each other like this um it's it's inappropriate and um again i get why the show is doing this i get it it's it's tasty treats to see buffy's ex (laughs) and her new guy together but yeah it's just it's just stupid it's just silly it's silly angel you got better things to do than this so in response to buffy's threat angel literally says he started it (laughs) can't believe he said that 
I and know. Buffy points at him. She's like, no, like, no, bad dog. Yeah. And so then she goes to Riley, which I think is a really smart move, right? She goes to Riley. She's very clearly communicating here. Riley is my priority because he is my boyfriend. Does Riley pick up with this? No, but nice try, Buffy. Mm-hmm. Riley says, I'm sorry. Just wanted to know that you were safe. And Buffy doesn't reply. She just says, I need to talk to Angel for a minute. And she clearly wants to be alone with Angel, but Riley does not want that to happen. So he says, I'm not leaving this room. And he crosses his arms like a (laughs) five-year-old. Yeah. And so Buffy looks to Angel and he gets up and she leaves. They leave the door room, right? And Riley's just like, not moving a muscle. And then I'll have a temper tantrum. On their way out, Angel gives Riley this like smug look like she chose me to talk to, whatever. Um, they're both acting like five-year-olds, right? I can't imagine Buffy wanting to sleep with either of them right now. <laughs> so outside, Buffy says, okay, I come to see you to help you and you treat me like I'm just your ex. Wait, what? Angel says, well, technically, because the thing is, Buffy... How do I even say it? Like, Buffy, you were out of line <laughs> in L.A. And Buffy tells him to shut up when he tries to, like, c- correct her. He, she, she says, um, then you order me out of your city, and then you come here and start pounding on my boyfriend? I would really like to know what the hell you think you're trying to do. And Angel says, I'm trying to make things better. <laughs> so they both take that in, and they stare at each other, and then they both start to chuckle. Right. And the tension goes because like that sounded silly. And like of all the problems that have caused now, Angel, you know, so they laugh it off. And Angel says, going pretty good, don't you think? And Buffy says, swell. And the the tension of the scene and the the way they're both standing, like it's they're so at ease now. Right. They let it out. Um, There's a natural comfortability between the two of them here. And Angel says, I couldn't leave it like that. The way I spoke to you, I came to apologize. I had no right. And I was like, sweet, sweet angel boy, angel. Um, Buffy should be apologizing to you as well because she was there throwing around judgments and almost ruined your intervention with Faith. So I do think it's big of Angel to come here. I mean, obviously he got sidetracked with the testosterone of it all, but he came here with really good intentions, right? To clean up a mess that he didn't really create. So Buffy says... And Riley and Angel says, I got jumped by some soldiers. He came in the middle. He wasn't real forthcoming with the benefit of the doubt. Buffy says, put yourself in his place. So Buffy is being really empathetic toward Riley here. Just like earlier, like you said, like she spoke to Riley first before addressing Angel. And Buffy says, you weren't entirely wrong what you said in LA. We don't live in each other's worlds anymore. I had no right to barge in on yours and make judgments. So there it is. So Buffy realizes like, okay, that was actually kind of wrong of me. She didn't apologize, but like, there's the acknowledgement, right? And Angel says, I'm still sorry. And she says, thank you. So, okay. He says, next time I'll apologize by phone. And she laughs and Angel says, things are pretty tense around here. Um, is there anything I can do? And she says, honestly, I think the best thing for you right now is to, you know, to go. So Angel's like, okay. And then she says, it means a lot that you came, right? It means a lot that you took the step to come here and, and make things right. Angel's going to leave. And he's like, oh, and Riley, I don't like him. And Buffy smiles and says, thank you. And then he, he leaves. She watches him walk away for a bit. Then she enters the room to go back to Riley. So, this is so the ending of this, like obviously Buffy and Buffy has done some things in the last couple episodes that are like questionable to me in the ways that she treated Angel and the way she um, went to L.A. and the way she acted. And Angel came to Sunnydale and acted 
wild as well. So I guess it's even Stevens. Um, and I, I, I do think that this last line is very significant in that, you know, he says, I don't like him. And she says, thank you. It reminds me a lot of that conversation they had in Enemies after Buffy tells him she wants to go on a break. And he says, you're still my girl. And she says, always. And it's the same kind of tone to me where in this scene, he's implying that like, like you still matter to me, right? It's not that mm-hmm. I'm like, glad you have a new boyfriend. We have different lives now. Stay out of my town. It, it's more that like, I acknowledge that you are moving on. It's what I want for you, but I still love you. I'm still here for you. And Buffy gets that in this subtle little nod that like, you know what? I still love yeah. you. I mean, this is them working through not being together anymore, right? And yeah. it's taken them a couple of times. Like this is what? the third time they've seen each other since they broke yes. up? Yes, yes. So, you know, each time they're they're working through it a little bit more. It's, it just, it takes time. And like you said, it takes conversation. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad Angel's honest with her, right? Yeah. And I, again, like, I just feel like when I tell you that the tension, like, released from them and they have a very easy conversation after that, the anger's gone. It's a level of maturity that I, you know, amongst all the silliness (laughs) of their back and forth the last two episodes, there's a maturity here. And it is really nice to see this maturity come after their breakup. Because like you're saying, like they had ups and downs, right? They've been figuring out how to communicate with each other now that they're no longer together. And we're seeing that progression. Now they can be friendly exes that still care about each other very deeply, but the dynamic has changed. And there's still a lot of love there, but more than love, I think there's a deep understanding and respect for each other. And that's very nice to see. And it's something that we've seen maturing in them since he came back from hell in season three, right? We really liked the dynamic that they had when they had their um, on again, off again relationship in that season. Mm -hmm. And now it's progressing into what appears to be really amicable exes. And that's nice to see. And I think it's also important because, again, let's think about the Buffy and Angel dynamic, right? They represent a lot of things, like lots of metaphors going on with Buffy and Angel over the last couple of years. A big one is first love, first heartbreak, like first breakup, right? Like dealing with that when you're in high school. So I think it's really interesting to see how a relationship that ended really poorly in that everybody was hurt, to see them being able to maturely talk about it and be around each other and learning how to do that with stumbling blocks along the way. Agree. It's another spatum scene. Woohoo! <laughs> Yay. So this time Spike's not smoking. He's drinking because he likes to change up his vices. Of course. So he's drinking beer. He says, that was fun. <laughs> oh, was it, and Spike? And Adam asks <laughs> if he was successful. Spike says, it was easier than I thought it would be too. I feel it in my bones. Call it the Yoko factor. And when he doesn't get a response to his clever witticism from Adam, he says, don't tell me you've never heard of the Beatles. And Adam's jacked in while they're having this conversation. And he says, I have. I like Helter Skelter, which is a song, (laughs) right? But the the word Helter Skelter also refers to chaos. Mm -hmm. And so Spike says, what a surprise. The point is, they were once a real powerful group. Um, It's not a stretch to say... They ruled the world. When they broke up, everyone blamed Yoko. The fact is, the group split itself apart. She just happened to be there. You know how it is with kids. They go off to college. They grow apart. Way of the world. So thank you for the history with Spike lesson, because 
when I first was first watching Buffy as a kid, I was only vaguely aware of the Beatles, right? My dad, huge fan of the Beatles, of course, but I was like 10, 11, 12 years old when I was watching season four. So I only knew the Beatles were banned. I didn't know the whole story of John and Yoko and supposedly the way she broke the band up. So I, I appreciate that there's a little bit of a history lesson embedded in the episode so that as the show ages and you get younger and younger listeners who, <laughs> you know, I know a lot of young listeners these days rediscover the Beatles, right? They listen to the Beatles for the first time and they're like, this is so good. Why does nobody know about this? It's like, well, they do. We do. You just thought that it was old music. Um, yeah. So, you know, history with Spike. <laughs> History with Spike. And also, I like the feminist turn of this story because, you know, you everyone says Yoko broke up the Beatles and Spike is clarifying, you know, she was just there. It's not yeah. her fault. We all want to blame the woman. <laughs> but he's, you know, re reinforcing that it wasn't her. I also like these little moments with Adam where he has these little opinions like I like Helter Skelter, right? It's like I, you think about what is Adam doing with his day? Because it's not like he's the mayor where he was running Sunnydale while also moonlighting as an evil villain, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Adam has his entire day free to jack in, apparently, and just read things on the, the fledgling World Wide Web. Clearly, he's been doing a lot of pop culture research. And I can just imagine him sitting there listening to the Beatles discography and then just, I don't know, like maybe like a single tear rolls down his eye or something. <laughs> Um, Adam should have been Lord Moloch. He should have been Moloch the Corrupter this season. You, and You take that back, blasphemer. Oh my, I can't Why? believe I'm listening to this right what now. What do you mean? I think if I think if Lord Moloch was the main villain of season four and he was like in the computer and he needed Spike oh, you to want do Adam the to be footwork. His priest. Oh, oh, yeah, okay. yeah, 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 you yeah, are yeah, forgiven. Yeah, yeah. I thought you said he was a better Moloch than our Lord Moloch, and I was No, what? I no. was getting ready to sacrifice you at the altar yeah, here, Stan. No, I would have let you I would have led you to the <laughs> sacrificial table. Um no, what I'm saying is instead of Adam, it should have been Moloch the Corrupter, praise. Um, and he was the one making Spike do all this running around, and he was the one Unlike that Spike Malcolm, was having sex right? with. You're saying Adam's a better Malcolm. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> I think his name was Malcolm. No, Malcolm was the uh, guy Fritz? who had cancer. Fritz. Fritz. It yeah. was a long time ago. Yes, it was. Uh, anyway. Anyway, we got sidetracked again. Um, Where was I? So Adam says, so you separated the Slayer from her friends. I am pleased. Great. So good sex today is what you're saying. We know Spike pleases you, Adam. <laughs> Spike says, well, since we've got all our ducks in a row and they're not talking to each other, guess it's time for the grand plan, huh? You know, the one where I get the chipectomy. <laughs> Such a good word. <laughs> and Adam says, no, there's one more thing that he needs. Ooh. What could that be? Ooh, I'm intrigued. Not. Uh, whatever. Buffy and Riley are in her room and she's like, are you badly hurt? And he says, I don't know yet. Night's still young. And I would think you are, Riley, because he threw you into like, I don't know, equipment. <laughs> um, Buffy says, I have to tell you something. Maybe you want to sit down. And Riley's like, I'm fine because he wants to stand. And she starts to tell him, but then Riley says, wait, 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 be first, Buffy. I feel like we've gotten really close. At least I thought we had. I don't know that much about Angel or your relationship with him. All I ask is if you're going to break my heart, do it fast. Riley. 
Riley, 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 Riley. Where is this insecurity coming from and since when? Is it because Angel beat him up now that he's feeling like extra insecure? So what I think is so interesting about this scene is it's very similar in many respects to what happened last episode in New Moon Rising, right? Because in that episode, you had an ex coming back and you had the current love interest, Tara, feeling insecure and feeling like maybe Willow is going to throw her over for her ex and kind of saying, you know, I understand. It's fine. Like preparing herself. And in this scene here, Riley's feeling similarly and it's a similar situation, except I had so much sympathy for Tara and I have no sympathy for Riley right now. And that's so interesting to me. Well, remember, Tara was so was was giving space. Tara's like, figure your shit out, then come talk to me when you're ready. Uh, whereas Riley's like, what happened? I'm interested. Are you breaking up with me? <laughs> like, it's it's the insecurity level is ten times what Tara was showing. Tara was feeling insecure, absolutely, but she was handling it with grace and class. Riley is basically crying about this. And like, again, Riley's lost a lot. He's lost a lot in the last couple episodes. And we do have sympathy for him here. But I think that's what's contributing to why we're just like, Riley, chill out, right? Because Buffy really hasn't given him any reason to doubt. And that's what she says here, right? Because at first she says, you think that Angel and I, like, you know, had sex. And Riley's like, didn't you? No, of course not. How can you ask me that? And Riley's like, I don't know what Xander said. And uh, <laughs> Buffy's like, Xander, that, that, ooh, like, he's the deadest man in Deadonia, she says. And Riley's like, it's not his fault. I prodded and he explained how Angel went bad. I mean the trigger. After that, I went a little nuts. And I mean, on one hand, I should believe in us. But on the other hand, sometimes things happen between exes. And when I saw that, he's bad again. And Buffy's like, he's not bad. <laughs> Riley's like, seriously, that's a good day? Well, there you go. Even when he's good, he's all Mr. Billy Coke, King of Pain. And girls, really. And Buffy stops him. And she sits him down. And he, he, he says again, I'm nuts. And she says, have I ever given you a reason to feel like you can't trust me? Which is such a good question, Buffy. And Riley says, no. So Buffy's like, again, why with the crazy? Like, why are you acting this way? And Riley says, because I'm so in love with you that I can't think straight. Riley. <laughs> so there it is. Riley's told Buffy, finally, the real Buffy, that he loves her. Something we've already known. I don't like this. I don't like that Riley said this right now because what Buffy is trying to get out of him is understanding of why he is overreacting and why he's acting so insecure. So instead of admitting like, oh, it's just because I feel insecure because I've lost a lot. I'm afraid to lose you too. I'm sorry for doing this. I will learn. I will be a better person. I will be a better boyfriend. I'm learning. Instead, he says, I love you and you're the reason that I'm acting this way. Yeah. Exactly. It's just there's a lack of maturity on his part. He's accusatory, right? This is a lot of why I dislike Riley. And I, and I always remember this dislike of him, even though he's not this bad at the beginning of the season. It's, it's not just the insecurity. It's the way he blames Buffy for his insecurity. He's like, you make me like this. And you know, he's not being physically abusive with Buffy. And I'm not going to go so far as to say that this particular behavior of his is emotionally abusive, but it is somewhat toxic. You know, it has the, these precursors or these elements of abuse, these little pink flags, if you will, where it's like Riley needs some therapy 
Um, I don't know what kinds of relationships he's, he's had in the past. I don't know what he's grown up with uh, in his upbringing. But it's like Riley thinks he's the good guy all the time when sometimes he's the bad guy. Yeah. He's implying here that Buffy's made him feel so in love and so like emotional that he like that's the reason why he is fighting her ex-boyfriend. That's the reason why he points a gun in her dorm room. That's the reason why he's upset now. And it's like, that's not the reason why, Riley. It's because you care a lot about her. You're insecure and you need to learn how to handle your emotions. That's well, not on he's, Buffy. He's still processing Maggie Walsh's death, his mom, right? And he's processing being a fugitive because he quit the military and went AWOL. And he's got a lot going on, right? Like, it's not just Buffy and Angel, right? That This is just his excuse for acting out. He has other things going on in his life that are making him feel really insecure. And they're wrapped up in Buffy, but none of it is Buffy's fault. And it's not Buffy that's making him not think straight. So that's why I was like, on one hand, they're playing the romantic music in the background. No, it's his haunted dick. It's his haunted dick that's making him act this way. Someone please exercise his dick. Oh, no. <laughs> Buffy's tried. She tried. Buffy's She's tried her best. Episode tried. Right. It's never going to get cured. Um, so that's why, like, I understand. The show is trying to make this romantic. And, of course, Buffy replies with, tell me about it. But, like, it's not romantic. It's it's impeding this conversation this conversation that needs to continue happening and he's stopping it right there by declaring his love not the time and place riley i'm sorry um and also the fact that buffy doesn't say i love you too she says tell me about it is very telling to me well i mean you know this is not the first time riley has said i love you and buffy in quotes <laughs> did it say i love you back well, I think it's so funny that like in the last episode in the Angel Sanctuary, she tells Angel that I love Riley. I've got someone that I love. But here he is finally telling her, I'm in love with you. And she's like, yeah, tell me about it, stud. Okay, well, that's a Grease reference. But yeah, like, I mean, I'm just saying Buffy did not say it back here. She told Angel, but she didn't tell Riley. So yep. they they hug. Buffy says, Riley, I have to tell you something and there's no easy way. And Riley's like, just say it. And Buffy says, Forrest is dead. I'm so sorry. There was a fight. Adam killed him. I barely got away. And Riley puts his head in his hands. He's processing this. And Buffy's like, I know there's something I can say that's going to make this better, but we will find this thing and destroy it. And Riley says, I have to go. And he leaves. So... Okay, here's a big scene. Um, I love this scene. You know how I hate when these guys fight. Like, this really, scene really reminds me of Dead Man's Party. Yeah, it, but it's better than that because it, oh, finally Buffy has some skin in the game, number one. Um, but I think it's just lovely the way this fight scene is written because alliances change. <laughs> Everyone's mad at everybody. They're not just piling on Buffy for once. And um, it's just a really interesting conversation because yeah sometimes they're they're all fighting against willow sometimes they move to xander and then sometimes it's against buffy and like it's just everyone is miscommunicating and it's well done and balanced so willow's trying to encrypt the disc and buffy's breathing over her shoulder and she's like you know um how long is it gonna take and willow says hours days maybe anyone suggesting months would not be accused of crazy talk so giles is drinking in the background in the kitchen like he's pouring himself drinks and he's not helping he's just like spewing out you know phrases or whatever and buffy says 
well, we can't wait around. Uh, the disc is no good to us if we can't crack it soon. And Anya, because her and Anya, Anya and Xander are on the couch, Anya says, hey, we worked really hard getting that. Xander delivered clothing. And Buffy says, I'm sorry, you guys, but we're on the clock here. Adam was at that cave, so maybe he's there for a reason. I could go back and scope it out, track him if I have to. Willow says, maybe you'll get lucky and he'll still be there and he can rip your arms off. Oh, <laughs> right? Whoa. Harsh, Willow. Harsh. She says, Buffy, you can't go back alone. And Giles says, you never train with me anymore. He's going to kick your ass. And Buffy says, Giles. Giles is also very drunk at this. Yeah. I know he announces it later, but you could tell right away that he's fucking wasted. And he says, sorry, was that a bit honest? Terribly sorry. And he like laughs. Tony Head does such a good job of acting drunk. I know. I know. He, does, he sings. He acts drunk really well. He's everything. Xander says, um, okay, she doesn't go alone. Giles, weapons all around. And Buffy says, Xander, you're not going because you'll get hurt. And let's not forget, Buffy just watched Forrest get murdered. So of course she doesn't want her friends to go. And Xander says, okay, you and Willow go do the superpower thing. I'll sit around and putter around the bat cave with crusty old Alfred here. And this is so funny. Giles says, ah, ah, ah. Like, nope, I am no Alfred, sir. You forget Alfred had a job. <laughs> and when did Giles become expert on Batman comics? I want to know. So Buffy says, Willow's not going either. I'm doing it alone. And Willow gets mad about that. And Xander says, maybe we can help in other ways, like want some fighting pants, right? Because he's been delivering clothes all episode. Buffy says, you guys, this isn't helping. And Willow's like, wow, we're already getting in the way. We're pretty good at this, huh, Xander? And this is smart. This is so smart. Tara and Anya leave the room. They leave. I want to hear the conversation they have. Yeah, right? Like while they're in the bathroom. We get a little bit of it. Um, but they're so smart. They're just like, wow, this is so not me. Like, I'm, I am out of here. I mean, it's smart of them. If it were me, Kara, like, you know, I would have stayed. I would have stayed to listen to the whole thing. So Xander says, right, I'm so good at it that you might have to ship me off to the army to get me out of the way. Thought I didn't know about that, did you? You two talking about me behind my back. And Buffy is like, us talking about you? How about you telling Riley every last detail of my life with Angel? And yes, Buffy, yes, because this is the only thing that is true in this entire conversation. Xander did do that. <laughs> And you should call him out for it and he should be sorry about it. He'll never apologize for it, but he should. So Will says, you two are the two who are the two. <laughs> I'm the other one. <laughs> oh, Willow. Your little turns of phrase. I know. She's a good, good, she has good lines in this episode for Willow, right? Like ever the whiz there was. I love it. So Xander says, maybe that all changes when I'm doing sit-ups over at Fort Dix. Giles laughs at the word Fort Dix. Um, Buffy, he's like, are you drunk? And he's like, quite a bit, actually. And Buffy's like, well, stop it. This is stupid. <laughs> We have to remember, too, like, Buffy has had a day. She just got back from L.A. She's probably very tired, right? She didn't sleep very much. She just watched somebody get murdered in front of her. She saw her ex. Then she, and before she saw Angel metaphorically murder Riley, she saw Forrest die. Um, mm. And, you know, she got beat up by Adam. She got knocked out. She probably has a concussion, right? Speaking of head trauma on the show. Mm -hmm. Buffy has had a terrible day. All yes. of these other people, I understand that Spike has manipulated them, but nobody else in this group has been as 
put through the ringer today as Buffy. Yes. And uh, they don't have any sympathy for her because Xander says, so you finally have the guts to say to my face. And Buffy says, I didn't say you were stupid. So stop being an idiot and let me fix this. <laughs> so good. <laughs> Again, the, the, the flippant use of the term idiot and crazy and stupid in this episode, no good. But like right. in the context Does- of the 90s when they're writing this or the 2000s, it's funny. It's like well, really and, well And the written. way that she immediately like invalidates what she just said, right? Yeah, like, yeah, 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 it's yeah. Just, yeah. It's, the scene is very clever. well written. It flows so nicely. The delivery is so good. I have no idea how many takes they had to film for this, but it's just... Mm. Yes, it's so... It's just entertaining, right? So Buffy says, I need you. I need both of you all the time, just not now. Adam is very dangerous. And Willow's like... How do you need me really? And Buffy says, you're good with the computer stuff. And there's the witch stuff. And Willow obviously gets triggered by that. So she says, witch stuff? And what exactly do you mean by witch stuff? And Buffy says, what is happening? This is crazy. <laughs> and I love that line. Like, I've said that too when, like, things are getting heated in an argument. I'm like, what? what is this? What is happening? Right? So yeah. Giles, Giles says, Oh, no, it's not. It's all finally making perfect sense. And I'm not going to miss a moment of it. And he falls off his chair. So chaos in the bathroom. This is where we get a little sneak peek of Tara and Anya, who, again, smartly remove themselves from this conversation before they're like in the line of fire. Tara says, is this going to go on for a while? And Anya's like, hard to say. (laughs) And they sit quietly for a bit. And then Tara says, nice bathroom. And Anya's like, I like the tile. (laughs) So back in the room, Xander is saying he'd he'd be great in the army. You know why? Because they might give me a job that couldn't be done by any well-trained border dog. (laughs) And um, Giles is like, I'm going to bed. And he starts to take off his shirt as he climbs the stairs. He trips on the stairs too. But I was like, oh, there's an undershirt too. Ooh, if only he had taken off his whole shirt. And that's what this episode's truly missing is, is a shirtless Giles. So Willow says, yeah, you do great in the army. Do you think the umbilical cord between you and Anya can stretch that far? And Xander says, I knew it. I knew you hated her. And I was like, again, Willow with this dislike toward Anya, this like jab at his relationship with Anya. It's really disrespectful. Like, Willow, what about your umbilical cord with Tara, who you've been you know, seeing nonstop lately? Like, it's not fair. Giles' shirt <laughs> falls from above in the, the loft above onto Xander's head. Willow says, I'm not the one being judgmental here. I'll leave the territory for you and Buffy. Buffy's like, judgmental? If I was any more open-minded about the choices you two make, my whole brain would fall out. Okay, so I wanted to pause here because Buffy, (laughs) Buffy, that's not the kind of remark that you want to make about your newly out friend, right? Like, I get where the anger and hostility is coming from. But to say that, like, you know, Willow's choice to date Tara is something that could be judged by her, she just chose not to, is not the best phrasing. I don't know if that's what she meant or if that's just, you know, classic 2000 lingo going on here, but I caught that and I didn't like it. Yeah, I agree. It's not a great remark from Buffy, but it's also just like, Buffy, like, could we maybe talk about your choices here? Mm -hmm. And, you know, not just dating Riley, but like, hanging out with the initiative, blowing off your friends, blowing off your classes. When was the last time you went to class, Buffy? It it feels like this episode and this scene in particular is bringing out all the little judgments that we make of each other that we just keep to ourselves because normally we know not to bring it up because it's going to be a big deal and we don't want to make a big deal. 
Yeah, Spike has done a very good job on these guys because honestly, like um, like you're saying, none of them actually showed any of these judgments to, to like maybe they had them inside deep down, but like they weren't there. They were never discussed amongst anyone in this in this season. Um, they're really just the insecurities that Spike has now brought to the surface, right? Exposed for each yeah. of these characters. So. Well done, Spike, if we wanted to, you know, applaud a villain. Um, Xander says, oh, and superior. Don't forget that. Just because you're better than us doesn't mean you got to be all superior <laughs> to Buffy. Um, Buffy says, you guys, stop this. What happened to you today? And Willow says, it's not today, Buffy. Things have been wrong for a while. Don't you see that? And Buffy says, what do you mean wrong? And Willow says, it hasn't been right since Tara. We have to face it. You can't handle Tara being my girlfriend. And I just want to remind Willow that like that was like two days ago. <laughs> that right. the Tara thing. Um, so I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, but Xander says, no, it was bad before that. Since you two went off to college and forgot about me, first left me in the basement to dot, dot, dot. He's like, Tara's your girlfriend? And he's like shocked by this information. Giles upstairs says, bloody hell. So... So it actually occurred to me when I was watching this, when Xander reacts that way, like he obviously he's like surprised. He's just like, what? This is new information. And it actually occurred to me that like, don't you think that Willow, well, it's just so hard because Xander is, you know, is the worst. But I would think that Willow would want to come out to Xander first because, I mean, it just didn't happen that way. Like Buffy happened to start a girl combo with her. But I'm just saying Xander and Willow have been besties their whole lives. But I, yeah, I mean, they did spend time together earlier this season, but lately mm-hmm. they haven't spent much time together. That's an interesting point. I wonder if, you know, because Willow was at first making friends with Tara before she realized that she had romantic feelings for Tara. I wonder if Willow almost not used Tara, but she saw Tara as a really nice refuge from the fact that Xander was putting a lot of his time into Anya. And we've already discussed willow not being the greatest towards anya and there was that moment earlier in the season when they were playing poker together you know and willow was kind of fed up with spending time with xander and anya Mm -hmm. so i think when i think back across this season it actually you can see that the writers have very clearly showed us willow drifting away from xander finding tara realizing hey like I thought Tara was my friend. Now I'm thinking I'm into her as my girlfriend. And it's like, yeah, maybe there was a part of Willow that was like, oh, I want to tell Xander until she realized it's actually really hard to see Xander alone because Anya's always there. Mm, Yep. Yeah. I mean, that's a really good way to think about it for sure. It just, I think that's something that it's interesting to think about, right? Like why did Willow tell Buffy who you said earlier has only been her close friend for three years, whereas Xander, she's known her whole life. But also, again, like I said, too, Xander is unpredictable when it comes to getting news like this. And it just happened to be that an organic conversation came out of her having girl talk with Buffy in New Moon Rising. So, yeah. So so Buffy says, enough. All I know is you want to help, right? Be part of the team. And Will's like, I don't know anymore. And Xander's like, mm, clearly not wanted. So Buffy's like, no, no, no. You, you wanted to go. Let's go. Like all of us. We'll walk into the cave with you two attacking me and that funny drunk drooling on my shoe. She's like, maybe that's the secret way to killing Adam. And Xander's like, Buffy. As if like Buffy's gone too far, okay? So Buffy says, is that it? Is that how you can help? You're not answering me. How can you possibly help? And they say nothing. So Buffy's like, 
So I guess I'm starting to understand why there's no ancient prophecy about the chosen one and her friends. If I need help, I'll go to someone I can count on. And she leaves. And God, I hope she's not talking about Riley. So we cut to Adam's cave uh, where he turns around and says, I've been waiting for you. And it's Riley. And he says, Mm. now I'm here. How did Riley know where the cave is? What? What, what is All happening? All will be revealed, Steph. Don't worry. <laughs> All right. Cut to black. Um, again, well done this episode. So, so, like, so much is happening um, leading this up is, to this season finale. This is a long episode. I mean, it's not any longer, but, like, there's there's so much dialogue in this episode. There's, like, the fight. There's a couple of fight sequences, but there's a lot of dialogue. So this episode is very dense yeah and um i mean everything's coming to a head every little insecurity and problem that's been happening all season is coming to us now i was waiting for (laughs) joyce to pop in and be like and you never visit (laughs) yes seriously she's like by the window oh and you never visit me you didn't tell me about riley angel told me Actually, 100%, Angel did not go back to LA. He's crashing at Joyce's tonight. He'll head out tomorrow. We're going to have some band candy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Angel's like, Get, I hope you have the band candy on ice because I need it right now. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. He's just looking for some more of that art, that underground <laughs> yeah. art. Well, he had to pick it up from her anyway, or he had to deliver something to her, right? Right. Or, like, I mean, maybe he's even picking up a package that he has to bring to LA for her. They got like a great little partnership going on here. Um, all right, who's your hero? I had a hard time picking one. Who's your hero? Did you pick one though? No, I'm waiting for yours okay. <laughs> so I can steal it. Controversial choice. Yeah. Spike. Mm, you know that's a good choice, honestly, because he he got shit going. <laughs> Yes, and yeah. but here's the thing. I think that they're going to get past this. I have a suspicion, right, that they're going to come find a way to get past this and, and save the day. I feel mm-hmm. like that's a safe bet. Maybe. They're going to get past this, and they're going to be stronger for it. And like, was it Willow who said, like, things have been wrong for a while now, right? That's true. Spike did not instigate any of this. He just sort of brought it all together. And really kind of gave them the perfect storm to set them off. Oh, he's the page master. Yeah. So even though his motivations were evil, and I think he's evil, and it's not good that he did this, I think he did them all a favor. And they're going to come out of this stronger than ever. And so that's why Spike is my hero of this episode. (laughs) I like that. I'll add on to that and say, uh, good for Spike for... Finally showing the audience, but also eventually the Scoobies will learn, I'm sure, that Spike meant what he said this whole time. I'm not your friend. I'm evil. I hate you. I will do anything I can to bring you down. I don't care that you helped me. (laughs) Right? So, I mean, for being himself, I'll give it to Spike. And for being goddamn entertaining. Right? (laughs) All right. I'm so excited for next week because, you know, Primeval is not the season finale, but... It kind of is, though, right? There's a lot that happens in that episode before a less conventional season finale, which, despite what I feel about season four overall, Primeval is a very satisfying finale or or finale-esque episode. And then 
Restless, you know, I know people have mixed opinions about Restless. I can't wait to see what we think of that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, oh, here's a quick announcement for everybody. Kara and I have excitedly decided that our season four wrap up, you know, our annual wrap ups at the end of every season that we do will be live. We're going to live stream while we record that episode on our Instagram account, Prophecy Girls podcast on Instagram. Um, And we invite anybody who wants to be part of the live recording to join us. And um, we'll be answering questions and we'll be having a discussion about the season. So you are more than welcome to join in, send us your comments, and we will have combos with you while recording. And it'll be really yeah, fun. Yeah, we're, we're going to do something a little bit different for the season wrap-up this time in terms of format and how we discuss things. We've got a little bit of a bonus coming up as well. We'll talk more about that soon. But like Steph said, please join us if you can. If you can't, you're still welcome to send in hot stakes. And we'll try to get to as many of them as we can. But we're just really excited. So come join us if you can. So so watch out on Instagram. We will announce which date it will be and the timing and Indeed. everything. So follow us on there and, and keep your eye out for that. And also, yep, yeah, now's the time. Here's our call out. If you have something to say about season four, about uh, the, the entire season or certain plot points or characters, send it in now because we'll be recording that, you know, as you know, sooner <laughs> rather than when you hear it. <laughs> We've got a hot stake this week from Alicia, who wants to talk about faith and says, first off, I just wanted to say that I do love the tangents. So no worries here. This is in (laughs) reference to our episode of Where the Wild Things Are, which was quite the wild discussion. (laughs) As it was always going to be. (laughs) So Alicia has a comment about um, faith and basically like some of the hot stakes we talked about in Where the Wild Things Are. Um, So just a trigger warning here that we are going to discuss rape and sexual assault again. Alicia says, I think this show really shows that, in their opinion, male rape doesn't exist. I think it presents that a real man wants sex all the time. If he doesn't want to have sex with every woman all the time, then he is inherently the problem. I don't think Faith would have seen what she did to Riley as rape because I believe, in her opinion, Riley wants to have sex with women, thus it's fine. And in Where the Wild Things Are, I think the argument with Anya and Xander also shows this. It's perfectly normal for couples to have sex drives or to have periods where they just aren't in the mood. But I think the way that Anya insists that he must want to have sex with her at all time, or it's a sign of a dying relationship, is problematic. Even in times when Xander almost has sex with a demon before knowing that's what they are in earlier seasons, that would still be a form of sexual assault. He didn't know she was a bug or a mummy, and so he didn't consent to that. But instead, it's consistently just brushed off as, oh, Xander has bad taste in women. Just a thought. Mm. Yeah, I, I think you're onto something there, Alicia. Like we were talking about in uh, Who Are You? And then in the hot stakes that we were talking about in, in Where the Wild Things Are. Like this show <laughs> does not have a good track record of talking about consent and sexual assault. And I think you're right. I think they're showing some very toxic ideas about who can be assaulted. Yeah, but of course the show doesn't address that. So thank God Prophecy Girls are here and Alicia <laughs> to point things out because, yeah, this is never a conversation we're going to get on yeah. on air, right? All right. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in, especially our supporters on Buy Me a Coffee, including our chosen ones. Lizzie. Emma. Hannah. Taza. Kyle. Kayla. Destiny. Brady. Erica. Justine. Allison. Lena. Chase. Julian, Haley, Nicola, 
Tasha. Thanks, everyone. We will see you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to Prophecy Girls. If you want and can afford to donate, head over to buymeacoffee.com slash prophecygirls for one-time and monthly options. We appreciate all of your support, even if it's just spreading the word about us or enjoying our show week by week. We also invite you to join in the discussion by messaging us on our social media channels. Follow us at Prophecy Girls Podcast on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook, and prophecy underscore girls on Twitter. You can also email us at prophecygirlspodcast at gmail.com or visit our website, prophecygirls.ca, where you can find the link to our Discord. Praise Moloch! See you next week!